Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We were uh, talking earlier, uh, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, by the way. Oh, good morning, nice Denny. Good to see you. And uh, th- this happens and happens once in a while with you doctors. Uh, sometimes you get called away to be a doctor. I know. So we were going to talk about menopause today with uh, the chief of uh, obstetrics and gynecology, Dr. Tara Castillo. She's tied up right now. And so we're going to what we're going to do is we'll just uh, I'll chat with you listeners. What yeah. kind of questions do you have about any topic? Right. And then um, if she's able to get away, we'll still talk a little bit about women's health uh, later in the show, if that's possible. Otherwise, we'll just say. But it happens. Get, it does happen sometimes. Um, and so sorry about that. But uh um, give us a call. Give yeah. us a tweet. You know, people were tweeting some questions. I was actually, here's a funny thing. I was actually told by uh, someone at the hospital that you got to answer your tweets more because I, I think I was looking at them wrong. People are tweeting questions to the show oh. and uh, I, I neglect to look at it or I'm looking at it wrong. And so we don't, uh, I didn't get to answer those. So if you've been tweeting questions, thank you. And sorry that I <laughs> wasn't always very prompt in getting back to you. But the tweet is easy. Just put the hashtag Healthy Matters and send it to at Dr. David Hilden. Dr. David Hilden stands for doctor, or it could be my initials as well because my initials are David Richard. So that's right, uh, Dr. David Hilden. Dr. David Hilden. Send me your tweet, and then of course the, the phone the, call, the old standby methods. Yeah, the phone is. In fact, we've cleared the lines. If you have, we're going to be doing a kind of a, a an open line show like we normally do. And if the doctor shows up, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about our uh, previous topic. 651-989-9226. If you did not get into the show last week and you wanted to ask uh, the doctor your question, six five. now's your chance, 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81807, 81807. I wanted to ask you about the flu shots. My son and I— Did you uh, get it, Danny? We did, yeah. It was uh, this a uh, couple days ago on Thursday, and— uh, uh, no reaction. Yeah, you, you look know, no little... worse for the wear. No, no. But uh, I was talking to uh, another person here at the station a couple days ago. I said, did you get your flu shot? She said, never do. I never do. And I thought, I remember a year ago, she was very sick. Yeah. And not for a day, for weeks. For weeks and weeks. That's what you get. Um you get sick for a long time. No, it's not 100% proof, No, it's not right? 100% effective. No. Somebody asked me... Um, there's the typical question about what's the difference between a cold and a flu, but then somebody else also said, well, what about allergies? How do I know if oh, it's yeah. not that? And, you know, that person's right, too. They all kind of blend together, don't they? The cold, the flu, and allergies and all kinds of other cruds that people get. And who doesn't know somebody this time of year that has yeah. something, including me? I can barely breathe at night, and mine's allergies. So let's start with that one. Allergies are when your body's immune system is overreacting to something. It's over. You've actually got too strong of an immune system. And, and around late summer is ragweed and things like that. And then in Minnesota, we are blessed to have a deep frost, <laughs> which kills everything off. And then most people's allergies uh, get a little bit better. Um, 
And so that is likely going to be the case for me. But then I will start suffering from a second kind of indoor allergy that happens even after a frost. And that's like dust and mold and dust mites and oh, all the other kind of things you can't really see in your house. So allergies are one. And that's usually itchy eyes, lots of sneezing, nasal congestion, maybe just a sense like you're overall kind of fatigued, but you're not... You're not ill per se. You don't have a fever. Um, You usually don't have a cough, although you can, particularly if you have asthma. So that's allergies, almost always up in the head. Um, Colds, colds are um, due to a virus, not an overactive immune system, and they last about a week, maybe 10 days, maybe 14 at the outs, the longest. But they're just a milder thing that usually doesn't knock you out. You know, usually you go to work or you're able to go to school, but you don't feel great. You have the, you're, you're sneezing, you've got a runny nose, little aches and pains, but it's again all above your chest. Influenza knocks you out. Influenza is big, it comes on fast, 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 usually in a day. You're fine one day, you're not fine the next. It's due to a different virus, and you do have a fever with influenza every time. You have a bad cough with it almost every time, and you have muscle aches and pains that are your whole body. Your whole body is just feeling terrible. Influenza almost always not, um, prevents you from going in to work or school, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't go in because you're just going to pass it around. So those are kind of the, the sniffly, sneezy kind of the things. And sometimes you might, who knows, you might have both. You know, so That's sure. You, you might could, have both. Yeah. The deal with the influenza shot is it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. If we're going to wait for the perfect medical intervention, you're going to be waiting a great long time. Influenza shot is really pretty good, though. Maybe not perfect, but it's worth getting, and you cannot get the flu from it. The reason we tell people not to get the flu shot while you're actively sick is that you can't kind of, um, you might attribute your illness to the shot, and it's not. You can get a little bit of achiness. Your arm can be a little sore. You might have just a little achiness after the flu shot in your body. It's your body's immune system doing something, but you're not getting the flu. You're getting a little inflammatory response to the flu shot only. You're not getting the flu from it, but you can get a couple little symptoms. So that's the flu situation. Everybody, it's not too early. In fact, it's the ideal time to get your flu shot. If you haven't got it, get it this week. Uh, Text a 53-year-old male, good health and active, have been experiencing foot and growing quite extreme joint pain in arms, the whole arm and knees. They had a full blood panel uh, run, all results normal. Any suggestions? On on these, uh, wow! These, you know, I'm, I'm I'm scratching my head on this one. A 53 year old guy who's in good health, he's active. He's got foot and growing and extreme joint pain in arms and knees, and hmm, that's a tough one. Um, so the traditional blood tests that you might get at your doctor are not going to pick up more unusual uh, rheumatologic or joint problems. What about Lyme disease? It could be. You know, see, Danny, that's what I'm wondering. This could. So the typical things. Um, it won't catch come up on blood tests, but uh, you bring up a good thing, Danny. There are tick-borne illnesses. Lyme disease is the one that comes to mind soonest, and uh, that one can definitely lead to severe joint pain. It's usually not the very first symptom, but heck yeah, you can get it from Lyme or other tick-borne diseases. It could be that you're developing some kind of uh, uh, rheumatologic arthritis. There are things like psoriatic arthritis, and there's some other kind of um, uh, immune system related arthritis problems. Uh, if it's um, 
just something that's coming on gradual over time. It could be osteoarthritis or wear and tear of the bones. So I think the next step is to get some x-rays to this texture. Get x-rays of your knees and, and the places that it hurts. See if there's any bony abnormalities. And if there is not, I would go to a rheumatologist. And then they can do some specialized blood tests. And they can do some specialized imaging if need be. If you want to send a text to Dr. Hilden, 81807, or give us a call at 651-989-9226. This sounds like a, a perfect uh, place like the Hennepin Sleep Study uh, there, just a couple of blocks away. What are the causes, Texter says, of excessive sleep? Sleep at night and then very deep sleep, four to six hours during the day, difficult to wake the person up. Yeah, so I know that's a... Um it's a common thing. I'm going to uh, kind of a little cheeky response is one of the causes is being 18 years old, <laughs> you know, you know, because you think I'm thinking of my uh, not 18 year old, but my young adult son who tends to sleep a whole lot. And one of the reasons he sleeps a lot during the day is because he doesn't sleep so hot at night. Mm. His his um, sleep habits, if you will, are not maybe as ideal as they should be. In other words, he stays up too late. The reason I bring all that is um, we talk about sleep hygiene, first of all, and it sounds like kind of a weird term, but when doctors refer to sleep hygiene, what we're talking about is your habits. And that's the first thing to do if you're excessively tired. What time are you going to bed? What time are you getting up? Are you getting a good restful night's sleep um, at night? And if not, those are the first things to address. Maybe you're drinking too much caffeine in the afternoon. Maybe you've got too many TV screens and other things on in the bedroom. Maybe you've got some other kind of um, uh, uh, job that's keeping you up late. But So that's the first thing. Are you getting normal sleep patterns? And if you are, and maybe this text message person is, maybe you are, then start to look for some other medical causes of excessive sleepiness. Some of them can be things like anemia. Maybe you're really anemic. You just don't have enough hemoglobin in your bloodstream. That's one cause. Maybe you have the most common one would probably be sleep apnea. Um, oh, yes. Your sleep apnea is a medical condition in which you're not getting enough oxygen at night. And the, the primary symptom of sleep apnea is tiredness and sleepiness during the day, not at night, during the day. So if you're exhausted during the day, your body maybe is just not getting restful and sleep at night due to sleep apnea. So those are a couple of suggestions. It could be depression. So, so I've, I've mentioned anemia, depression, and sleep apnea all in one breath. That just goes to show you how wide a range of problems there can be from being too, sleep, from yeah. being too sleepy. So I would start out with your primary doctor, get a few blood tests to rule out the easy stuff, and then I would get a sleep study, and I would talk to somebody about mood because I think mental health is a big part of it. Okay. I know it was uh, internal medicine, Doc, uh, you treat adults, but a texter sent uh, this message in about uh, an eight-year-old child. Let's see if I can call it up here. Is it harmful for an eight-year-old to take an allergy medication daily for an allergy for a pet dog? Uh, oh, oh, generally I, uh, speaking. Oh, so I think it's the medication is right. the, oh, oh, right, I, I right. got it. Yeah. Yeah. And my first reading of that was that they were taking a medicine that was intended for the dog. And I said, absolutely oh, no. not. <laughs> no. Um, no, but this is um, somebody um, out in Andover. Thank you for your text. The, here's this. Can I give you the party line? What every allergist will tell you, and it's a party line that almost nobody does, you're supposed to remove the thing you're allergic to. So in children, or in lots of us, that thing is often your pet. Yeah. And, and that's what an allergist will tell you. The number one thing, if the allergies are disabling or they're really bad, you got to get rid of the pet. I, I'll be really honest, and I'll bet the texter is thinking the same thing. Heck no. 
Almost nobody does that. Um, nobody gets rid of their pet. But that is one option. The second options are to take an allergy pill, and that's okay to do. But for an 8-year-old to be taking an allergy pill from now on for the life of that pet is probably quite a bit. I would strongly recommend, in this case, for a child, go see an allergist and see if there's um, more specific things that can be done. They can give you all kinds of tips. Maybe there's some – they can give you tips about the best way to have your dog at home. They have – you know, they say put the dog in a kennel in a specific room, not in the kid's bedroom – There's ways to keep your house sort of more pet dander friendly. And then they can give shots and things. So rather than just take an over-the-counter allergy pill every day, I think I would see an allergist for some first some non-medical treatments for the dog and your kid's allergy, and then see if they have some other things that are safe for children. And and like you said at the top, Denny, I'm not a pediatrician, so I'd be out of line saying too much about kids. But I would see a, uh, an allergist. The guy who I always recommend is John Sweet. He's here at H- HCMC, my good friend John. He's been on the show probably once a year for 10 years. And Dr. Sweet does, sees patients out of our North Loop Clinic. He sees patients out of our Golden Valley Clinic and here downtown. So um, this texter from Andover, go see Dr. John Sweet. Yeah. 612-873-6963 is his number. And what we'll do is a quick break here, Doctor. Then uh, we have folks on the line. We'll uh, we'll pick up on your phone calls when we come back here after this break. In the Twin Cities, partly cloudy skies. CCO temp 41, heading for 51. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We turn this into an open line show because our guest, uh, the, uh, Dr. Hilden, was uh, expecting... Well, we were expecting... Uh, and we were going to talk about menopause today, and um, we can, we're can we going to reschedule that. Um, uh, Dr. Gastillo's tied up and uh, couldn't make it. It so happens. It does happen sometimes. So uh, sorry if you were, uh, had your menopause question all ready to go because we're going to... It's a great topic, and um, we will be covering it um, yes. eventually. And um, But it's an open line show now, and the text yeah. line filled up. Good good CCO listeners and, and filled up the text line. And we also have a uh, phone line open, too, if you want to use it, 651-989-9226. Let's go to the phones. Heidi has been waiting there in Minneapolis to ask you a question. Go ahead, Heidi. Uh, yes, you were just talking about sleep apnea, and so I prompted this question. Um, I've had a machine for almost a year. Um, I've been doing fine with it but for the last month. Um, I take twice a week uh, when I wake up. Um, my alarm goes off, I turn it off, and then I start gasping for air like I just came up out of the water, and I don't quite understand what's happening. Heidi, since I've had... can I just interrupt just for a second? Does that happen yeah. right away when you wake up while you take the mask off, or do you still have the mask on? No, I still have the mask on. Yeah, um, and, and you just can't you can't breathe at all. Yeah, it feels like I, I, all of a sudden I can't breathe, and and it's like I remember I'm I'm dreaming. My alarm goes off. I I reach over, I hit it right away, and then I'm fully awake. And then all of a sudden I'm just <gasps> gasping for air, and it's like what in the world? And then I have to get that mask off right away. Yeah, that sounds kind of disconcerting too to have to wake up like that. Um, yeah. d- does the mask work for you, Heidi, overnight? I, in other words, are you able to sleep with it comfortably? Oh yeah, I, I go to sleep right away within you know ten fifteen minutes. I don't really unless i'm having aches and pains i don't really wake up or toss and turn yeah yeah that's a weird that's a weird because um what i'd suggest my the the kind of the cop-out answer from my part heidi is you know find go to your sleep doctor and find out if there's a different mask but though if that one's working for you overnight 
That's a problem a lot of people have. It's uncomfortable all night long, and I can't sleep, and so they take it off. But I, it's a little less common to have it work fine for you overnight, and then you're just right. waking up with this problem in the morning, and you just can't wait to get the mask off. Uh, if I can interject a little Danny? bit, because I've uh, I've had I've been sleeping with a mask for probably seventeen years, and uh, Heidi, is yours an automatic CPAP? That is, uh, it adjusts to to. Yes, it does. Yeah, uh, I noticed. In fact, I went to HCMC to get yeah. rechecked. Yeah. And sometimes the pressure needs to be adjusted. Maybe the pressure is wrong. So, so for um, oh, okay. those who don't have one of these, these things have a pressure setting for for not for Denny or Heidi or if you don't know what's going on with CPAP, yeah. they have a pressure that pushes air into your body. That's what it does, and it sort of splints open your airways, so you get better oxygen by using a little amount of pressure. And what Denny's is uh, wisely, in my opinion, suggesting is that maybe it's just the pressure when you are awake. In other words, when you first wake up, and so the, the thing, pressure's too low, the pressure's maybe needs to be adjusted. Yeah. I think that that's oh, a right. reasonable. I think Denny's on to something there. Why don't okay. you try that, Heidi? A different mask or a different pressure? And I'd start with a different pressure because the mask seems to be working. Yeah, if it's comfortable, sure. Yeah, I'll try yeah. it. I'll try it. Give that a whirl. Right. Call us back in a future. Yeah, let week us and know see if that works. Will you? Oh, all right. I'd love Thank to know. You. I would too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Heidi. Yep. I, Heidi leaves that line open at six five one. Nine eight nine nine two two six. Let's see who's been waiting there. Mary is uh, calling from uh, Delavan. Mary, good morning. Thanks for waiting. Yes, good morning. Um, I have called in the show before, and I um, appreciated everything that I was told. My son, who is now forty-seven, uh, had been having seizures, and he decided in Texas to have seizure surgery. He's been having psychotic episodes after the surgery, and he's just. It's almost like he's got OCD, but one of the things I wanted to ask is he's been using, he has allergies, and he's been using a neti pot several times every day, every day, every day, and I'm wondering if that's safe. Yeah, good question, uh, Mary. It is safe in general. Um, the neti pot, N-E-T-I for uh, listeners, is is a nasal irrigation system that's been around for like millennia, I think. I mean, like literally millennia. And um, it, it, you put it into your nostril with water and a little salt in there, and it kind of irrigates out your sinuses. Well, I say it's safe because um, there's, it's just salt water that you're running through your nose. So that's not theoretically a problem. But there are a couple of risks to neti pots. And the first one applies to the general public. You're supposed to use sterile water, or so distilled water or water that you've boiled. And then after you boiled it, very importantly, you cooled it off again. You don't put boiling water in your nose. The reason being there, there have been some isolated cases, I think down in the southern United States, where someone died from an amoeba infection that got in through the neti pot. So that's for the general pub- public. You're supposed to use um, clean water. But I don't think that's really the case, the problem with yours. The second caveat I would say is that if you've had surgery on your head and your son sounds like he maybe has i don't know if that has disrupted the normal anatomy of his nose or his facial bones or his skull and that makes me wonder if it's an okay thing for him to do my hunch and let me emphasize it's just a hunch mary is that it's fine but i would have him speak to his surgeons or his ent doctor just to make sure 
but I think it sounds okay. Um, more importantly, why is he needing to do it all that much? Mm. You know, if, if he's kind of obsessed about doing it, I think I would have that issue addressed about why does he feel the need to do it so much. But I think there are at least a couple of at least reasonable questions to ask about safety, probably safe, but make sure he asks his doctor. Okay. I hope that's helpful, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Tell you what, let's try to get Dwayne and Granite Falls' question answered before our top-of-the-hour break. Uh, Dwayne, what is your question? Hi, thank you. Uh, first off, I uh, have some heart issues. I had a pacemaker put in about a year and a half ago, and on my last uh, three-month check, uh, I have some issues, and they're referring me to a heart failure clinic. Can you tell me what that means? I'm going to hang up and listen. Thank you. Absolutely, Dwayne. A heart failure clinic. Heart failure is one of the most common diagnoses in the United States that brings people into the hospital. It also is one of the most common um, reasons for keeping people in the hospital and bringing them back. Heart failure clinics are specialty clinics, usually in cardiology divisions, well, always in cardiology divisions, that that help you manage your medications because if you manage your medications and manage your heart failure, you can stay out of the hospital. And it, it is a very complex set of medications and, and things that patients need to do and be educated about. So a heart failure clinic is if I had heart failure, I would go to it. Um, if I, I send patients to them all the time. It's usually a nurse practitioner or a doctor, sometimes a pharmacist, and they're very, very helpful helping you manage a complex illness because heart failure is not curable, but it is very manageable. And it, they can help you live longer. They can help keep you out of the hospital, all that kind of stuff. So I would go for sure. We'll be back after the break. We hope you stay with us here on CCO Radio. In the Twin Cities, 41 degrees. We'll be back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We have turned this into an open line show. And as you can see, Dr. Hilden, a lot of folks appreciate it because we have callers and we have texters. Indeed we do. A whole bunch there. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for calling and texting. What's the line they can call? 651-989-9226. That line is open right now. We'll get back to those callers who are on the line. If you'd rather send a text, and we have a bunch of those, 81807. What if you want to tweet? You yeah, can how do tweet we do that? me. It's Dr. David Hilden's my um, name, my, uh, my tag, my handle. Is that aging me from the CB radio days? See, my my Twitter name handle is Dr. David Hilden. So send a tweet to at David, Dr. David Hilden. If you're really cool, you'll put the hashtag Healthy Matters in it, but you don't have to. And send me your questions, and I will try to do those for the end of the show. We have a lot in the text line, but yeah. I wanted to follow up on one. Heidi called earlier about waking up gasping for breath with her CPAP. And I suggested she'd look at a mask. You had a good idea about checking the pressure settings. But then off, you had another idea, and then a texter called in yeah. with the same idea. What and about I wish the filter, I thought about that. Change the filter. You've got to change in some cases. Well, there's a, a you, many case times there's a foam filter, then a, a disposable ultra-fine filter. So, Heidi, if you haven't done that, check that. Check the That's filter. That's got to be cleaned, and uh, it's a little bit of maintenance there. Love that idea. Yeah. Um, uh, something that I wasn't aware of. So thanks, Danny, for that. And the texter who uh, yeah. had a similar comment yeah, about listeners. that, good idea. All right, should we try the phones? Because uh, folks have been waiting. Uh, Shelly is calling from Elk River. Thanks for waiting, Shelly. How can we help you? Hi, thank you. I have kind of a strange question. Uh, my daughter and her husband live in Africa, and one of their dear friends was in a motorcycle accident and apparently has a brain bleed. 
question is, is he safe to fly to get to a larger city hospital or take the 18-hour car ride? Yeah, that's a tough one, Shelley. So here's the deal on brain bleeds. They, like a lot of things in medicine, they range in severity. If you have a small subdural hemorrhage, subdural, which is little veins on the outside of your brain, those are often very stable, and he could probably just fly, and and that would be okay. Um, if you have a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is an arterial bleed, much more serious, I don't think he can go anywhere for for that long of a either on the plane or the um, the long car ride because that is a life threatening bleed and that needs to be addressed very quickly. That being said, all the time we fly people in from around the upper Midwest to my hospital, to HCMC, they land on the roof of the hospital for their brain bleed. That does happen. So if he can get quickly or relatively quickly to a a, a larger hospital, I think that's the best thing to do. Um, the 18-hour ride doesn't sound like it's in his best interest in any case because um, what would what if there were a complication um, during those 18 hours on an African road, I would think that that would be the most dangerous thing. So most of the brain bleeds that I'm aware of, um, we fly people here for them, but we do it in a chopper that's basically a flying intensive care unit so they can care for people on the way. Um, I, 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 we're, we're two or three degrees outside my area of expertise, um, but my suggestion is that uh, he does need to get to a higher level of care if it's one of the um, more serious bleeds. And if it's a relatively short uh, trip on a plane, I would think that would be the best thing. Yeah. That's just, I think it is best to, to fly. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, Shelly, because I've never been asked that question. Mm. But the 18-hour car ride away from medical care sounds more dangerous than anything else. But again, part of it depends on what type of bleed he has. Best best wishes to him um, um, from that accident. Uh, really, um, I hope things work out well for him. All right. Thank you, Shelley. Uh, Catherine is calling in from Blaine. Then we'll uh, pick up on some text messages. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Dr. Hilden. Uh, I have a question about pneumothorax. Um, my ex-husband, uh, was put in the hospital, um, with that condition. And if you could just expand a little bit on it, what the treatment is and how often it needs to hit, you know, you have to have surgery, what the prevalence is of surgery with that. Yeah. So a pneumothorax, the first half of that is pneumo, that's air. Thorax is chest. So what it is, is that a pneumothorax is when air escapes around your lung. And so your lungs are these two big sponge-like things in there that are full of air, but they have a very thin sac around them called the pleura. And the pleura normally have nothing in it. It just It's a friction-reducing, um, maybe a film of fluid in there that allows your lungs to expand and contract with every single time you breathe. If those pleura contain air themselves, it's called a pneumothorax. It can happen for a number of different reasons. It can happen from trauma. If you get a puncture to your lungs, like it, the air escapes from your lungs into the pleura, it's called a pneumothorax. It can happen spontaneously, particularly in smokers, another reason not to smoke. And um, it can happen um, from uh, 
let's see what else. Some other kinds of um, infectious kind of processes. It can happen from cancers in the lungs. So it has all these different causes. The main thing is if it's a teeny, teeny one, we don't have to do anything. If it's a medium-sized one, usually they put a tube in. They put a little catheter in the, in the pleural space, and they drain the air out of there. Um, and then in some cases, that tube just stays in. And if it happens over and over again, they do a surgery um, in order to scar down your pleura so that the air can't escape anymore. So it ranges everything from monitoring it to a tube in there, a little minor procedure, all the way to surgery. If it's happening more than once to your husband, then it would then they're probably thinking about tubes and surgeries. Once the surgery is done, it's pretty effective. It's okay. pretty effective. That doesn't um, usually... That, that kind of takes care of it. There is an emergent kind of pneumothorax where they have to drain it right here and right now, but it sounds like um, your husband's beyond that stage. All right. Thanks, uh, Catherine. Uh, let's go back to the text screen. The texter sent this and uh, has a high blood pressure and is on medication, but what can uh, they do to lower it even further? Take more medication. <laughs> more medication. Yeah, so blood pressure is a high, the number one risk for stroke. It's a big risk for kidney disease, and it's a big risk for heart disease, and a third of you have it, and a half of you that have it don't even know it. And so um, what we need to do is um, lower it however we can. So the first thing to do is to eat right. The second thing is to exercise more. The third thing is to lay off of salt. We eat too much salt. So um, those are big things you can do. Then you do need to take medications. And um, I don't care if you take one or two or three. You need to take whatever medications you can to lower it because the downside and the side effects of the medications pale in comparison to the downside of a stroke or a heart attack. So most people get control when they're younger with one or two medications. As you get older, it's usually two, three, or four medications that it takes. We usually don't replace medicines. We usually add on additional ones. So if you're wondering why the first one didn't work, that's not it. It's doing the best it can. You need to add other medications to your blood pressure regimen. We started the show talking about flu shots and uh, allergies, things like that, colds. Please explain, Texas says, Stomach flu. That's not really the flu, right? Correct. That's from Rich in St. Paul. You're right, Rich. Stomach flu is not the flu at all. Um, uh, so I, I always make a point to tell people, whenever I use the word stomach flu, I said it's not really influenza. It's not the flu. But people just kind of get it. Stomach flu is gastroenteritis. That's the medical term. It's a, often viral, um, but it's in your stomach. Influenza is a respiratory disease. It's, it's like a pneumonia lung kind of a problem. Here's one that says, can you get a different flu shot at age 64? Uh, you just get the usual one. The, the flu shot covers four strains of the flu. There is a high-dose flu shot that is recommended now for older adults. So I guess the big question is 64 and older adult? The, the recommendation currently is for age 65 and above. You might consider the high-dose version because your immune system isn't everything it used to be. So you help it out with a higher dose. Uh, it doesn't really matter as long as, as you get something, get some flu shot. But if you're an older adult at age 64, 65, and they have the higher dose one available, you might ask for that one. All right. We need to take a break. Let's do that. We have more show to come. So folks on the line, texters, hang on. We'll uh, pick up on your questions when we come back. Overcast 42 should see some sunshine later today. Highs near 51 today, but warming up throughout the week. Right now on CCO, it's 42. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We've turned this into an open line show today, but uh, you promised, Dr. Hilden, we will have uh, 
uh, topic menopause. You're going to do that show down the road. We're going to do it in the, in the coming weeks or months. So you look for that one. Okay. It'll be a good show. Um, we're going to do open lines today, though. Okay, very good. We've got uh, folks on the line and texters, too. Clarence in St. Paul, I believe, has been waiting there. Go ahead, Clarence. Thank you. Well, how do you check for Lyme disease? Is it possible to have Lyme disease for 10 years? Uh, no, uh, yes and no. Um, you check for it by, it's a clinical diagnosis, Clarence. In other words, um, if you've been to an area where the ticks are, are common and you have the right rash or the right types of symptoms, most like joint pains, fatigue, and you've been to a place where they had the ticks, we often just treat you with antibiotics right away without any tests. There is a blood test that takes usually two, three, four days to get back that can confirm it. And so if you want to be sure, you can send the blood test out. Um, and can you have it for 10 years? You can have Lyme, untreated Lyme disease, yeah, uh, if, it, if you never had um, antibiotics for it, it was never treated, um, it would progress to some pretty bad joint pain, some neurologic pain, and so I guess that's possible, maybe not likely, but, um, but if you, it was untreated, yes. If you've had Lyme disease in the past and it was treated with antibiotics, you can get a post-infectious inflammatory syndrome that can last for years and years and years. You don't have a chronic infection, but you can have a chronic kind of like ongoing lingering pain and ongoing lingering fatigue after you've had treated Lyme disease. So, yes, it's not you can have it for a long time, but no, it's not very likely. But go get a Lyme test. That is the blood test is what I would suggest, Clarence, okay. for you. Very good. How about some text messages? Let's do some text. Now, I'm going to... Bunch about three more about the flu shot, and then I'll move on to another topic. Somebody wants to know if I'm, I'm 65, is, is there any reason not to get the high-dose flu shot like side effects? And I would say no. Get the high-dose if you're an older person. Get the high-dose one. Side effects are just a sore arm and a little bit of fatigue, but you will not get the flu from it. Somebody else wants to know, can you get it when you have a cough or a cold? Yes, you certainly can. Do not get it if you have a high fever and you're feeling just really ill. But if you got a little cold, yeah, you can still get it. All right, here's somebody else talking about the CPAP problem, and this person's wondering if the lady with the CPAP problem is turning off her alarm. By mistake. <laughs> By mistake. You know, that's actually interesting. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, here's one. Uh, uh, what is an MRI of the liver? So an MRI is a, it's like x-rays, but there's no radiation. It uses a magnet, and so it has no radiation. And if you get in, and it's really good for looking at the mushy the mushy, that's the medical term, the mushy, <laughs> mushy parts of your body. A CT scan's good for looking at blood and at bones and at things like that. But an MRI is really good at looking at your soft tissues, in, in other words, your organs. So if you want to really get a good look at your liver, you get an MRI of it. And so whoever sent this text message in, apparently there might be some blood tests that were wrong with your liver or there were some other reasons that people were your doctors were concerned about your liver. So an MRI is the closest you can get to looking at it with your bare eyes. It's a really good um, test. Here's another text, Danny. Should we do have time yeah, for some more? Yeah, sure. Are there symptoms of high blood pressure? And the answer is not really. Most high blood pressure is asymptomatic. It's a silent thing. You do not know you have it. Now, there's exceptions to that. If your blood pressure is really high and it is causing what we call end organ damage, then you have symptoms. And what do I mean by that? If your blood pressure is so high that it's causing you to be your brain to not get enough blood, you'll be confused. So there's a symptom. Or you'll have a headache. There's a symptom. If it's causing water in your around your lungs or in your lungs called pulmonary edema, then you'll be short of breath. If it's causing kidney problems, you won't be urinating correctly. But this is when the blood pressure gets extreme levels. 
the vast majority of us day to day, and I think what the texter is talking about, are you having any symptoms? No. You, there are no symptoms of high blood pressure. I don't care. It can be 190. It can be 200 over 100. You're not going to have a symptom in the mm. vast majority in the cases. Another one? Here's do? a problem. It says, good morning. I have been diagnosed with five hernias, none of which are causing me any physical symptoms. The doctor at another fine Minneapolis institution that I won't name suggested I, I uh, um, uh-oh, I lost the rest of this text. Where would that go? Oh, suggested I wait until I have a problem before anything is done. I just wonder how you feel about that. I'm 80. I'm quite active. The only reason I found it is I can see a lump on my side. Okay, thanks. That was from John and Egan. Um, a hernia in and of itself isn't dangerous. A hernia simply when anything in your body bulges from one area to the next. And in an abdominal hernia, it's your intestines are bulging through your stomach wall, groin area. If, it's not, if that's all it's doing, it's not a problem. But if it gets stuck in there, a situation we called strangulated, or um, then it could die off and it could be very dangerous. Most of us just kind of wait until it's uncomfortable and you get it done on an elective basis. Uh, if it's literally been present for ages and ages and not causing any problems, then waiting is an acceptable way to go. Most people, however, have them surgically repaired before that happens. So if it's kind of a just a little thing that's not bugging you at all and you've had it forever, you can continue to wait. If it's getting worse, if it's bulging out a lot, then you could prevent future problems by having it taken care of now. It's a relatively minor surgery. Dr. Hilden, we are just about out of time, uh, seconds to go. Uh, for folks maybe that don't have a doc, a primary care doc. Yeah, what's up? One. You should get one. Yeah, we've got them all over at HCMC. Check us out at 612-873-6963. That's our number. Um, you can also go to myhealthymatters.org. That's the blog. Everybody do that today. Go to myhealthymatters.org. Listen to old podcasts of shows. Lots more information. Touch base with me. Leave a comment at myhealthymatters.org. And we'll be back again the next week. We'll see you one week from today. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Very good. Stay tuned next for Your Money here on CCO. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.